0: Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world change by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. So it's Exodus 17, let's see if we can find it, verse 8 to 16. We're reading from the, from the NIV. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Sorry, I should have read that one. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands will lift it up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Um, Eight verses, but quite a lot in there. And as I was reading it, I was exploring, you know, I started off with the first question that you would ask because this is the first time that we've been introduced to this people group and that's the Amalekites and who were they? And why were they attacking the children of Israel, six weeks after leaving Egypt. So this is the first time they encounter the children of Israel. Amalek, we see in Genesis 36 verse 12, was the son of a man named Eliphaz. You probably won't know that name, but you might know this name, the grandson of Esau and the great-grandson of Isaac. So we think and we don't know that they were fighting over control of um. of of a pathway through the desert or maybe an oasis or a a caravan center. They don't exactly know where this battle takes place, but they know it was in Rephidim. So that's the context. It's also the first time the children of Israel have ever been in battle. This is the first time in this moment in history. And it's the first time they've encountered an enemy that is human other than after leaving Egypt. So they they were attacked by Pharaoh, but God rescued them. And this is the first time they've gone into the battle and the first time they've met a human enemy. They have been hungry. They have fought amongst themselves. They have fought against God. But they haven't yet fought against other humans. So it's something else to remember. Another thing we know about the Amalekites is the way that they attacked the children of Israel. It's not in Exodus, but in Deuteronomy 25, verse 17 to 18. No, it's not in on that one. Verse 17 to 18 God is telling the law to Moses. He's he's expounding some of the laws that he's given him on Mount Sinai that you're going to find out next week or the week after. And he says, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So we've just discovered that these guys were picking off the weak. Basically anyone who was lagging behind as the children of Israel were walking in the desert, were picked off one by one by the Amalekites, and that's really important to recognise because that kind of hit one of God's um, injustice buttons. And there's a there's a core value that we see throughout God in Scripture, something close to His very heart, and that is a protection of the weak and the vulnerable. And so we see in verse nine. And actually, another thing about the Amalekites, you know, we see later on in that passage that. God was not that impressed, and as a result of them coming up in the way that they did against the children of Israel, they were destined to be wiped from the face of the earth as a people group, which is quite quite a crazy thing to explore, but we'll look at that a bit again later. In verse 9, it says, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Okay, that's crazy, because this is another first. This is the first time that Joshua... Is mentioned in scripture. And Joshua, for those of you who don't know, he was quite a key um, significant character in the biblical narrative that would ultimately lead to the coming of Christ. Joshua is, he has a, there's a book in the Bible um, named after him that um, records how Joshua took ground for the nation of Israel in the future. But this is the first time that we're introduced to him, which is really interesting that Moses, who was the, we believe, and there's no reason to doubt, the author of Exodus, um, introduces him to us, even though he's probably been Moses' right-hand man for a bit of time before this. And Joshua is incredibly obedient because, um, because it's unlikely that the children of Israel were a fully formed army yet. They'd only left Egypt six weeks before, but they had to fight because their people in their community were being attacked and picked off one by one, and they had no choice. But sometimes that's An amazing thing because then you learn how to fight for each other and it's really interesting that in the other times that the children of Israel encountered really challenging situations God came through and did amazing things for them in this passage he does the same without God they would not win the battle but they're also fighting so they're not sitting back and allowing and watching God wipe the Amalekites off the face of the earth As we see him part the Red Sea, and as we see him do other things, they're actually partnering with God in in a in a quite profound way that we haven't seen before. So this nation is beginning to to grow, and these firsts are starting to develop as God is growing them. And there are a couple of things that are really important about why maybe God didn't just do it for them, but asked them to partner with Him in this battle. And that's that. One of them is that they learned to fight for each other um, instead of, you know, God doing everything for them. Another one is that they learned about how much God values the protection of the weak and the vulnerable. And also they learned to rely on each other because when you, are, when you fight with each other a battle, you actually learn to rely on each other's strengths um, because you can't do it all. So Moses asked Joshua to fight because Moses was 80 and he was probably slightly too old to go into battle. And so Joshua went into battle, and Joshua asked men who probably weren't yet fully trained in fighting to come with him and defend their community, and they came. And, um, and then you have Aaron and her, who we'll, we'll explore that later, who came with Moses to do an equally challenging task of holding the staff up before God in the battle. So suddenly we see... Um, and ultimately, God and the staff raised, God is the one who wins the battle. And without God, the battle couldn't have been won. But God chose to, um, to model something to the children of Israel that, that was about partnering with Him, in, in, with Him as the one leading the battle, and with community in partnering to, to do something impossible. And that's a, a kind of first for the children of Israel and something else that's quite fascinating. So we see in verse 11, as, Moses, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. I don't know if any of you have tried to raise your hands for a whole worship song, um, it's really hard. It doesn't work. So Moses wasn't giving Joshua the challenging task by going out to fight and him the easy task by going up the mountain. Um, it was just the job that they'd been given to do. And so n- not one task was, was more important than the other in this community as they were working to fight this battle. Each one was significant and important in this story. Um, but the key to the battle did lay in the hands of Moses, who was the leader, because it, they won or lost on his ability to hold that staff up before God. And I think one of the things that struck me that I thought was amazing about this passage in verse 12, it says, so that his hands remain steady till sunset. Um, I was looking at that, and the, and the Hebrew word for steady means faithful, trustworthy, or true. Normally it is used in a moral sense, and this is the only time in the Bible where it relates to something physical. And so suddenly we, we discover that Moses, the author, is actually, there's a bit of a play on words here. What does it mean to uphold your, your leader's hands to support them so that they can remain steady or faithful, trustworthy, and true? I think we have an expectation that leaders do that and they need to do that. But there is a community that supports each other within this and a leader is part Moses was part of a whole community that won that battle. And I think that's something good to explore a little bit as we're thinking about it. And Paul elaborates on this, um, on this thought that about each person and each part of the community having a different role to play with a, um, a verse that you might know quite well. It's, it's, it's in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 17 to 19. If the whole body were an eye where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but only one body. I love this because um, I think this is at the heart of what this passage is about. I was um, thinking about talking On this topic, and I love this topic, and I love this verse, and I, I was, and this passage, this this section of scripture, and when Chris and Jen asked me to speak, I was really blessed by it because it's a passage that is close to their hearts, and I know, I I know from speaking to Chris, one of his favorite passages, which says a lot about Chris that he asked me to, to share my thoughts on it today, and and I'm I'm really grateful for that. And I was thinking about my journey and my walk and the truth of this statement at the beginning. You can't hack it alone. And I knew exactly why, um, you know, Chris had asked me to and Jen had asked me to share what was on my heart today. And that's because my experience of of Christian community, like relating it very much into, into present day now, my experience of Christian community has been, before I came to Australia... A very, very difficult one I went to a, um, I went to a church that didn't represent the heart of God, and i and I got an understanding or a misunderstanding of who God really was, and I was hurt deeply by the church i was I felt fear and shame and so much failure and i just I was very happy not to engage in Christian community again I kind of Made a decision, and I always wanted God, and I always, always wanted Him. But I was like, God, me and you, because this whole thing with me and you and your church and your people, it's just not gonna work for me. It's it's too difficult, and um, I was quite happy with that decision. I was, I found some Bible verses to back myself up a bit, and you know, I was, I was like, Nah, we can, we can, this is the way, but. As with anything, as you're walking a journey with God, he, he slowly began to work in my heart. And the truth is, you actually can't hack it alone. It's not that, you know, it's not that community is a gift given to us by God, although it is. It's actually the way God intended it to be, because what happened for me when I made that decision, because I'd been hurt so deeply and in so many ways by everyone who, who'd in the name of God, which is what hurt me the most, you know, I decided, okay, I'm going to do this on my own, but you know what happened? Kind of that picture of those those children of Israel being picked off at the back one by one, that's 100% what happened to me. And I didn't understand the importance of uplifting each other and supporting each other on this journey and the blessing that that is. And I think this passage reminded me of that more. And so... It's actually, community is a, a massive privilege. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book, um, a book called Life Together, and he was a, a German pastor, a theologian, an anti-Nazi dissident, and he was preaching underground um, in an underground seminary, and he was 39 years old. And he spoke about Christian community a little bit. And he said, It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of the Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that at any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. So talking from someone who um, has made a choice not to engage in Christian community, I, I really believe it is a beautiful, unbelievable blessing from God that we get to do this life together. Um, and it's such a precious thing. So I definitely want to, to share that with you. But then I also want to talk about one one more aspect of this passage, which is also amazing. So we've looked at building community and the way that God was creating an entire nation. Um, and it was at the very start in Exodus, and he was doing it. Ultimately, it would, it would come to fruition in the, in the coming of Christ, which is an amazing thing to think that this story threads all the way through scripture. So in verse 15, it says, Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner is a really interesting name. The names of God in the Bible act as a roadmap for learning about his character. So throughout scripture, he reveals his name and then another name and then another name. And we discover the very heart of who he is. It reveals his true nature and, um, the nation, and it revealed his true nature to the nation of Israel as he began creating this amazing nation from which Christ, the, Christ would come and the lineage of Christ would be. So we've already explored some of the names of God. If we read the Bible chronologically, we discover a name of God called Jehovah-Jireh. Excuse me, I'm not, definitely not pronouncing it right, but Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord provides or sees. We see that in Genesis 22. So we discover a little bit about his character. Wow. And this was to do with Abraham and Isaac and providing a sacrifice on the mountain. And then in Exodus 15, 26, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at it we see another name of God, Jehovah Rapha, which means God is our healer. And, and again, we can really relate to that and understand that name. And in this passage, we see another name for God. The Lord is our banner. And what's amazing about this is this is the only time in Scripture that we see this name for God. So it kind of makes us have to look at it again and go, okay, why is this here and, and what's it telling us? So this name for God is Jehovah Nissi, or the Lord is our banner. Nissi is sometimes translated as a pole with an an insignia attached, or banner, standard, ensign. Basically, it's a flag and a flagpole. That's how it's um, translated. And it's sometimes used in battle. Opposing nations would fly their own flag on a pole, each of their respective front lines. So now we're beginning to get an understanding of why Moses held up this staff in the battle, because they were fighting this battle under the flag of God under his kingship, under his standard. But it's also um, another way of looking at this meaning is that it's a declaration of kingship and authority. So, um, oh, we're missing a picture. Never mind, that'll do. Um, In Egyptian hieroglyphics, we can explore a little bit more about what the children of Israel would have seen when they heard this term, the Lord is our banner, because the flagpole and the banner were very meaningful in Egyptian culture. And you have to remember that the children of Israel have been in Egypt for 400 years. So they're very comfortable with the Egyptian culture. They understand it. And um, on Pharaoh's temples, there would be flagpoles. And the, the banner or the standard of, the, of Pharaoh of the king would stand in front of the temple. And actually, what's even more fascinating is that the hieroglyphic symbol for kingship or authority, in fact the symbol for God in Egyptian culture is actually the flag. So now we begin to understand even more the name, the Lord is our banner or Jehovah Nissi or the, the, the banner being interpreted as, interpreted as flag or flagpole because suddenly there's this declaration of kingship and authority. He is God and that name would not have gone over the heads of any of the children of Israel that would have heard it. It's amazing that God revealed Himself to them in a way that they could understand. Um, so fresh in their minds from seeing flags across flags in the whole of Egypt, seeing you know the Pharaoh um, lifted up as God, and suddenly God is being raised, and the declaration of "I am God," and suddenly they are fighting this battle under His kingship and His authority. So, you know, we bring it into present day and we, and we, we understand that, that lifting His name up and living our life under His banner and under His kingship is, is our desire and our, you know, our heart's desire in that place. So we've explored a lot of firsts and I think about why God was putting a lot of firsts into this passage and I think the reason is because he was creating a nation and just like when um, an image of a parent seeing a kid um, giving a talk for example and maybe they're grown up and they're giving a talk for uni or something like that or, or, or speaking at church or whatever and, and as a parent if you're seeing your kid doing that you're probably gonna think back to their first word and be like wow they've come a long way. And um, and I think it's very much like that when we look at this passage. When we explore Exodus, and I think it's amazing that we've explored the book of Exodus, and we're coming up to Easter. Easter is only a few weeks away. Oh, two, oh, very close. Easter is very close. and um, And it's so amazing that our as we come to this unbelievable moment in history that we're going to explore more at Easter time, we looked back at the whole of Exodus. We've kind of looked back at the beginning. We're like the parent who's thinking back to their kid's first word. And, um, and what a privilege it is to be able to track back through history to see how God created a nation. And so I think that's something that is really important about this passage is the two aspects that we look at, the building community and the, um, the Lord is our banner. A.W. Tozer, in The Pursuit of God, writes, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? And I was thinking about this. Um, when we declare that the Lord is our banner, when we raise his name up high, then the community and we build community together the impossible happens because it's the combination of both those things together that are so amazing about this passage of Scripture. I was, um, again, coming back to to what I shared earlier about Christian community and the challenge that it is. Coming back to church and and entering back into Christian community, which I know is the heart of God for us. I believe it strongly after exploring it for many years. Um, It was really hard for me I came to Australia and I didn't intend to, you know, to, to join a Christian community or engage um, in that way because I just, one, didn't think I could and two, didn't really trust that it was going to be okay. Um, but I have been so blessed and privileged to, to be part of a community that has allowed me to do that. Um, when I walk, in, walk into church on a Sunday in the evening and I'm struggling and I'm tired and it's been a really difficult week full of things I'm fighting that I either thought I'd already beaten or that are just very tiring or, you know, life is hard sometimes. I come into church and I might just sit down and put my head on my knees and, and then as worship begins, I hear someone singing and lifting up the name of God in worship at the top of their voice or I, I look around and I see someone dancing before God with abandon or I, or I see someone um, producing just beautiful pieces of art in worship to God. And um, the beauty of community is that as you do that and as your brothers and sisters are raised with their eyes towards God, they lift you up. And so suddenly I'm, I'm sitting there and my head's down and I'm like, this is way too hard. And then suddenly I look up because I have the worship and the friendship and the prayer of of brothers and sisters in Christ lifting you up in that space. And that's what church community is all about in whichever you know, in, in, in lots of different church communities, that's what it does. That's the beauty of what it does and why it's such a special thing. So as you're looking up, you're coming together in community, which is, I think, what Toza was trying to say. So finally, I was thinking about how to sum up some of them, um, you know, practically, how can we do this? And I was drawn to the words of Christ in um, Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40, because it's not too complicated. And I really like it when it's not too complicated because it means it's something I can take on board and, and ask God to put into practice in my life. So Matthew 22, the words of Jesus say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So you raise him up as a banner. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself community. All the law and the prophets hang in these two commandments. So as I, as I draw to a close, I just thank God for the gift of community, but also the way he designed it to be. And I thank God for these passages in Scripture which um, show us the way that he created a nation, the way he called Abraham out, the way he created a nation which ultimately leads to the coming of Christ, which... We're going to find out that soon but in this series, but it's just this unbelievably profound moment where God comes in and says, okay, I've done everything I need to do along the journey, and I've let you track it by putting these scriptures in Exodus, in Genesis and Exodus, and live it all the way through the Old Testament so that you can see how amazing. So one, you can see my heart for humanity and my heart for you, and also so you can see everything that's going to happen before to bring about Something so amazing. So I was thinking about how I know that tacos are coming, um, although I have been informed that it's tacos. There's some people up the back that were, yeah, sorry guys, it's my Britishness that would, tacos are coming. Um, but I wanted to think about how um, we could end this um, and how we could kind of action it. And I asked um, Sam very, very last minute. Ah, he's there. I asked Sam very last minute if he could, um, yeah, guys, you can all come up, if he could play a song um, for us. In fact, all of us sing it, we're going to sing if you know it, if you don't know it, read the words and then sing it because we're really good at that, just singing if we don't even know the words. Um, And it's just a declaration, it's a a prayer and it's a declaration um, asking God to build his kingdom here. So um, thank you very much, everyone. I'll hand over, are you ready?